Welcome to the Radio Bible Course and our study of Galatians chapter 5. We want to begin with a question today. Have you been called? Called to what? Well, Galatians 5.13 reads, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love be servants of one another. Yes, the Christian has been called. And called to what? Called to live a free life. Free of what? Well, the context tells us that. The context has been about how the Galatian Christians have been considering going back under the law because of the influence of Jewish teachers. And Paul began in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And what's that yoke of slavery? The context tells us chapter 4 dealt with an allegory that began with verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under law, do you not hear the law? And then he tells us, uh, gives us an allegory about Hagar and Sarah. And the result of which is, or the conclusion is, that we brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. We're not slave children. We are born of the free woman. And then he says, For freedom Christ has set us free, and stand fast in that freedom. Now, we move down then to verse 13, and Paul continues this theme of freedom by saying, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Some people were doing that. And they do that today, but that doesn't mean we should not believe in freedom in Christ. We must insist on living free of the law. We've been delivered from the law. We have been discharged from it. The believer who is not under law can fulfill by love what the legalist could not do. And Paul wants the Galatians to know that, that if they love they will far surpass anything that the law of Moses ever demanded of a Jew. And these Galatians are not Jews, so that law doesn't even apply to them. But there were Jewish teachers called Judaizers who were insisting that they couldn't be Abraham's children without being circumcised and without living by the laws of Moses. But Paul is counteracting that by this epistle. What a wonderful and what a strong epistle this is to keep the Christian free of being contaminated by that Old Testament law. It would rob him of the freedom which Christ purchased, and it would then make null and void the work of Christ. So grace frees us from sin, but it is not freedom to sin. Now listen to the teaching that Paul has given to believers in Rome regarding this subject, beginning with verse 12 of Romans chapter 6. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. 
What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. And Paul reinforces this matter of Christians not being under the law in chapter 7, verse 6. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. In Galatians 5.13, Paul said, Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The word opportunity is also translated occasion for the flesh. And it comes from a Greek word meaning a starting point or a base of operation in the context of war. Now the law provided sin as a base of operation as seen in Romans chapter 7. Verse 8, But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. Now let me read it another way. But sin, as a base of operation, through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. And in verse 11, again Paul writes, For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, or serving as a base of operation through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. Of course the law would kill, because it demands perfect obedience. And Paul knew. He came to that point where he knew he had to let go of the law because he couldn't be righteous by it. Now, in these verses, Paul means that the law provided a base of operations to attack the soul. So, in Galatians 5.13, freedom is not to become a base of operations for the flesh, that is, the sinful self. That's what Paul means by flesh. Paul needed to say this, because men will interpret freedom from the law to mean freedom to break the law. And how many people misunderstand that. As a matter of fact, they hope that they can win an argument by saying, Oh, you mean that since we are not under law, we can go ahead and break the law. And I said, The Bible never teaches that, and neither do I. There are so many people who want to defend the law of Moses instead of defend the freedom of Christ. That tells me something. They may be disciples of Moses while calling themselves disciples of Christ. Now we move on to verse 14. Paul writes, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, quote, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this verse explains what love accomplishes. Does God see you as fulfilling the law when you love another person? He does. And the Bible teaches it, both the Old and the New Testaments. For Paul is quoting here from Leviticus 19, verse 18, when he writes that love for a neighbor was at the heart of the law. Love your neighbor as yourself comes from the Old Testament. Jesus repeated it. Paul is repeating it. That's at the heart of the law. When Jesus was asked which commandment is the greatest, he replied, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Following that statement, Jesus said in Matthew 22:38, This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now that tells me something that even a person who is trying to live by the law in order to be righteous is going to fail unless he loves. He must love his neighbor. Without that love, there is no way to be acceptable to God. Everything hangs on love. Now, since that is the case, no wonder we read repeatedly in the New Testament that love is the fulfilling of the law. And Christ came and gave us a new commandment to love one another as he loved us. And unless you do love one another as Christians, you cannot convince people that you are one of his disciples. That's what he said. Now Galatians 5.14 should not come as a surprise since all the law hangs on love. Love for the Lord and love for man. Now listen to verse 14 again. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, and that means one statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul, who knew the law very well, taught love as its fulfillment to other people as well as to the Galatians. He taught it to the Romans. We read that in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. He said, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now I want to pause here a moment to point out that there are some people who pluck verses out of the Bible and try to prove anything they want to prove by a passage in Scripture. Now that does show that they believe that the Bible is authoritative, but they can also twist the Bible and then it is not authoritative. For example, I have heard people teach that we should never borrow money because Romans 13.8 says, Owe no one anything. Well, what's the context here? The context is love. He said, Don't owe anyone anything except to love one another. The emphasis here is that you will always be in debt to love one another. You'll never be able to pay up that debt. Now, he continues, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The commandments, You shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this sentence, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, Paul writes. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Well, we saw in verses 13 and 14 that Christians should not use their freedom to satisfy their flesh, but they ought to be servants of one another. And now he reinforces that by quoting from the Old Testament concerning the law of love. And now in verse 15 we have a contrast to those two preceding verses. Paul writes, 
But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by one another. This passage describes what to expect when love is not the priority and the motive for living by people in the church. What will happen in the church? Well, most of us are quite familiar with that because we have seen the infighting in churches. It has been terrible and it's embarrassing. Some people even get into fistfights and the police have to be called to quiet down the church. I remember reading this story here in Baton Rouge in the newspaper about a church where the pastor got into a fistfight with one of the church members and the police were called. Now that should never happen, of course. Do you think there was love in that church? Hardly. Each one was seeking his own way. Now when Paul said, Take heed that you are not consumed by one another, he is thinking about a dogfight, and the language here is language that was used to describe wild beasts tearing at one another, or think of a vicious dogfight, and here he applies it to the people in the church. If you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by one another. We all know that children frequently fight over the most unimportant things. And one of the reasons why we have so much fighting in the church is because we have so many children, baby Christians in the church, or perhaps people who aren't Christians at all. They haven't grown. They haven't grown because they haven't fed on the Word, or they have not been taught the Word of God. Well, we must close here. We'll continue with the next section, beginning with verse 16 tomorrow. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news.